Good morning. Good morning. Last talk of the year. Boy, that went fast, didn't it? Good grief. And we are right in the midst of sacred days and nights of a variety of faith traditions. And they all involve the light, don't they? The lighting of candles, the acknowledgement of the light, the light that is within us and the light that guides us all. And Ernest Holmes said this, he said, there is a light that permeates the world, but we have not sensed it. We need, in the silence of our own contemplation, to take time to feel the light and to see it. We have to hitch our earthly wagon to a spiritual star, because if we do not, we are going to hitch it to the make-believe life, something that has no light at all. The only light there is, is the eternal light. And so our theme for the month was Everything is Holy Now, right? Wasn't that song amazing? I love that. And today's talk is Seeing with New Eyes. And so, so I thought it was really important that we, we begin with acknowledging that we are at the intersection of several faiths' very, very powerful traditions incorporating the light. And so I want to begin with Hanukkah because I think that's the oldest one we're dealing with right now. So, um, Larry, if you want to come up, I will um, light the candles, and you can give the blessing. Thank you. No, I want you to give the blessing. Hi. No, on, by, by the microphone. Oh, okay. Nobody will hear you. <laughs> okay. Baruch. Atoa, Aranoi, Elohenu, Melech, Holom, Asher, Kichono, Vitzivonu, Lahadlikne, Hanukkah. We give blessings to the Lord our God, King of the universe, who commands us to light the candles of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. It is a Jewish festival of eight days. It's, why am I making so much noise? It's typically celebrated in late fall or early winter. It begins at sundown on the 25th of Kislev, which is the ninth month in the Jewish calendar. This year, Hanukkah started on December 22nd, and it ends this evening. It commemorates the victory of an, an outnumbered army of Jews who uh, over Greek invaders in the second century BC. It celebrates a miracle that occurred during the cleansing and the rededication of the temple once they got the temple back. And although there was only enough oil in the lamp for one night, the lamp burned for eight days while they were uh, making purified oil for it. So that was the, the um, miracle. I think kind of there was another miracle involved too, which was probably the, the military miracle of being so outnumbered and yet claiming victory for that. But Ernest Holmes said this, he said, he said, you are the light of the world. Man is the candle of the Lord. How important then that this light be trimmed and burning with the oil of pure spirit through the wick of peace and joy. 
In this way, we glorify the indwelling God, who is the heavenly Father and the cosmic mother of all of us. So the next uh, tradition of the light that I want to um, introduce is the burning of the Yule log. You want to light that for me? That'd be lovely. No special order. <laughs> we can just light it all at once. Now, the history of the Yule log goes all the way back to the Iron Age, right? So this is before medieval era. And the, and the uh, Celtic Brits and the Gaelic Europeans would gather together and they would welcome in and celebrate the solstice, the shortest day, at December, wherever, 20th, 21st, 22nd, depending on where you are on the globe. And people would feast and celebrate the days being longer. The solstice is the shortest day, so this is a time when the end, they would think, of the cold and the, and the night and the end of the winter season. And to cleanse the air of the previous year's events, I love that, <laughs> like kicking 2019 to the curb, right? To cleanse the air of the previous year's events and to usher in the spring, families would burn Yule logs, decorated usually with holly or pine cones or ivy. Now, we have a modernized version of a Yule log because actually the Yule log was a, a tree trunk. And they'd put it in the fireplace and actually burn it for days on end. And the, they would uh, decorate it not only with the, with the greenery, but also with salt and wine. Uh, they would anoint the logs. And once burned, the ashes were valuable treasures as well. They were, they were thought to have medicinal benefits and, and guard against evil. So they would be used. Some groups claim the ashes would protect the bearers from lightning, which was incredibly important in those days when everything was made of wood, you know, your homes, your structures, everything. <laughs> and the prayer around the Yule, around the solstice, was this, cold and dark, this time of year, the earth lies dormant, awaiting the return of the sun, and with it, life. Far beneath the frozen surface, a heartbeat waits until the moment is right to spring. And then, of course, with the advent of Christianity, the Yule log continued, but it was incorporated into our Christmas celebrations. As heard um, on this thing called life, Ernest Holmes said, there is a light at the center of your being. It is a perfect light put there by this thing called life. Be sure the light shines in you. And since neither you nor I nor anyone else could have the power or the intelligence to put that light there, the only thing we can do is stand aside and let the light of God, that the light that God put there, shine through you. And so the next tradition is the Christmas tree with its own light. Isn't that lovely? It's a good thing we don't burn candles on the trees anymore because that just didn't go well. <laughs> the Christmas tree has come a long way from its humble beginnings, right? Uh, it's, it's pagan origins as well, just like the Yule log. You know, while a lot of ancient cultures used evergreens and brought them into the house in wintertime, historical records suggest that the Christmas tree 
tradition started in the 16th century by Germans who brought the fir tree into their homes. But before that, evergreens were used by, uh, by Romans during the solstice, by the Druids, uh, the priests of the Celtic tradition, the Vikings. They all brought evergreen into the home because it symbolized eternal life because it was evergreen. And, and it also symbolized the return of the sun and the warmth and the growing of food, you know, survival. The first person to actually bring a Christmas tree into the house, the way we know it today. As the story goes, it may have been the German preacher Martin Luther in the 16th century. The story is told that one Christmas, one evening actually before Christmas, he was walking through the forest looking for inspiration for one of his talks. And he looked up at the stars shining through the tree branches of the evergreens. And it was so beautiful that he went home and told his children. It reminded him of Jesus who left the stars of heaven to come down to earth at Christmas time. And so he was credited with bringing that Christmas tree into the house. Now, the Christmas tree made its way to the United States in around the 1800s by German settlers in Pennsylvania, but it was not really very welcome. And Christmas was outlawed for years and years in this, yeah, in this country. Nobody wanted it around because it was associated with its pagan roots. And so the Puritans didn't want it. Nobody wanted it. It took a while. It was not until the 1890s that uh, Christmas trees and Christmas ornaments were actually gained acceptance and became popular in the United States. And this is one of my favorite prayers about Christmas by Howard Thurman. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken in spirit, to feed the hungry, to release the oppressed, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among all peoples, to make a little music with the heart, and to radiate the light of the Christ every day, in every way, in all we do, and in all we say. That is the true work of Christmas. And Ernest Holmes was... was, uh, totally in agreement. He said that there is a place on the side of the mountain where all ascending, where having gone beyond the peaks that obstructed the light for us, our ascent reaches an apex where no longer any shadows are cast. This is the light that is spoken of, the light that lights everyone's path. And as you believe you live, believe you are that light. And as you believe in the possibility of your own soul, believe in God. And as you believe in God, believe in yourself. So, Hanukkah is ending tonight. The Yule celebration came to a close after the solstice. We are in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas, right? That doesn't end till January 6th. And Kwanzaa begins December 26th, and it runs through January 1st. It was started by an American activist and a secular humanist, Maulana Karinga, who created Kwanzaa in 1966 as a specifically African-American holiday 
Karinga said his goal was to give blacks an alternative to the existing holiday and an opportunity to celebrate themselves and their history rather than imitating a practice of the dominant society. So according to Karinga, the name Kwanzaa derives from the Swahili phrase Matunda Ya Kwanzaa, which means first fruits of the season. So the first principle of Kwanzaa is Imoja. It is unity, to strive for and to maintain unity in the family, the community, the nation, and the world. The second principle is Kujichagalia, self-determination, to define and name ourselves as well as create and speak for ourselves. And the third principle is Ujima, collective work and responsibility to build and maintain a community together and to make our brothers and sisters' problems our problems so that we solve them together. Next is Ujama, cooperative economics, to build and maintain our own stores, shops, and other businesses and to profit from them together. Nia is purpose, to make our collective vocation the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness. Kuumba, creativity. To do always as much as we can, any way we can, in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than when we inherited it. And the last principle, Imani, faith. To believe with all of our hearts in our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and the victory of our struggle. And the Kwanzaa Kanara is here. It is uh, black, representing the people. And then it is lit on the left side, the, the red candles. And then as the days proceed, the green candles, the red candles indicating the struggle and the green candles indicating hope. And the prayer of Kwanzaa is for the motherland, the cradle of civilization, for the ancestors and their indomitable spirit, for the elders from whom we can learn much, for our youth who represent the promise of tomorrow, for our people, the original people, for our struggle and in remembrance of those who have struggled on our behalf. For Imoja, the principle of unity, which should guide us in all we do. For the creator who provides all things great and small. So the light factors into many faith traditions. It is the light of illumination. It is the light that Ernest Holmes spoke of the light that lights everyone's path, the light that is within us that we have to allow out. We have to allow our light to shine. When we look upon these faith traditions, we see similarities, yes? We see similarities. We don't see differences between us. We see us all of every faith tradition you can think of affirming the same thing, that we are one. That we are one. There is only one source. It's the light. There's only one source, it is God. 
It is the energy which is spirit. Regardless of our different faiths, we all seek that divine illumination of spirit to allow it to flow through us, as us, into the world, changing the conditions around us. We must see with new eyes that we are one. Regardless of the diverse ways that we, we express ourselves, regardless of the diverse beliefs we have, regardless of all the different ways that we can show up, we must remember that we are one. At the root, there is only one. There is only spirit. Ernest Holmes said this. He said, unless we become the living embodiment of love and light, we shall have no justification in saying God is love and light. Unless we use the freedom we have without abusing it, we shall have no justification in saying that the human is the master of his soul, the creator of his destiny, and the arbiter of his fate. But if we can bind ourselves together reverently, in love and in compassion, in, in mutual understanding, under cohesive powers of the universal law of good and the beneficence of the divine and universal presence, then we shall be able to use this liberty without license, to diffuse unity with uniformity, and to lead the world down the pathway of a new enlightenment. That's the work we're here to do. We are here to allow the light within us out, to let it shine through us and as us, to be the healing that the world is calling us to be, to stand in the truth of our belief that there is only one, that there is only one. It is God. It is us. It is all life everywhere. It is whole, perfect, and complete. This is the philosophy of religious science and science of mind and spirit. This is our philosophy, that we are one. And all of the, the, the diversity of teachings say the same thing. Say the same thing that at our core, we are the same. We are one. We are the light shining. So I would invite you to bring this consciousness with you into the new year, to be the light that you are in the new year, to stand in the love and the joy, the unconditional love of spirit that you are, Bring that, that consciousness, the consciousness of the new enlightenment, into the new year and welcome in 2020. Mm, totally new, totally fresh. Thank you so much.